Anyway, I, uh, I came back on Sunday afternoon from a trip to Quebec and then a cruise, and I decided to stop in Boston on my way home. This will tell you a little bit about me if you don't know me very well. I have a list of 10 things I want to do before I croak. And uh, on that list is to be in Fenway Park, which is the baseball park in Boston, and uh, sing in the eighth inning with the, uh, the whole crowd, uh, Sweet Caroline. So if you don't know that, that's what they do, and it's really a, it's a moment in sports life, and I've had it on my list. So a couple of years ago, I was going somewhere, and I routed myself through Boston so that I could go to the game. And I went. It was raining. We sat through eight, or excuse me, five innings of pouring rain, praying that they would just make it to the eighth so I could sing, and they cut it off at the fifth inning, and we all went home. <laughs> So this year, after we got off the cruise, I routed myself through Boston again, buying my tickets last spring. Uh, it, it was not slated to do any kind of weather. It looked perfect. It was going to be grand. The game was to start at four. We'd be out by seven or so. Not bad for two ladies wandering around in the dark trying to get a cab out of Fenway Park. And so it was supposed to be lovely. However, about one o'clock in the afternoon, they shut down the city for massive thunderstorms, stopped public transportation, delayed the game. So I'm thinking, well, if they delay an hour, that's good. No problem. I'll still make it. They didn't delay it an hour. They delayed at three hours and by that time I couldn't go so I'm two strikes <sighs> and I don't know if I'm going back maybe I'll go back I thought as an alternative I could sing it with you but it, it's, it's gonna it's gonna lose something there I think <laughs> you have on your table a, a picture and I want you to grab it if you will Several years ago when we started having these brunches before school started or right at the beginning of school, I was uh, intrigued to find a, a piece of art that could suggest a theme and a topic and a, and a subject for us to think about for a little while. And I've done a number of them, everything from Rembrandt to much less known artists. The picture you have in front of you is called The Way of Joy. It's a piece of work by a group called Fine Art of America, and a guy by the name of Greg Olson did the, the, the work. I became fascinated with this picture. Just look at it for a minute. It's not your typical uh, meek and mild Jesus picture. It's not your usual Sunday school picture. It's a picture of a couple of guys really enjoying each other. There is a sense of joy and laughter associated with this picture, and I want to talk about that today. So all of us, without exception, we like to be picked for things. We like to be liked. We like someone to say, hey, I'd like to sit at the table with Sherry. She might be interesting. Somebody that's as dumb to go to Boston twice just to sing in the eighth inning, she might have something to say. We liked to be picked when we were kids. We didn't want to be the last one picked on a, on a dodgeball uh, game. We, we went into high school, and if you went out for cheerleading or a sport, you didn't like it if you didn't make the team. Maybe, maybe even if you wanted to be the president of the, of the physics class, of the physics club, you wanted to be recognized, you wanted to be noted, you wanted someone to say, I like to be with you. It's an enjoyable conversation. We want to belong. It's that way in the animal kingdom, too. I went looking to see how the animals do that. I, I, I chuckled a little bit. Monkeys, zebras, and elephants, they choose their, their first friends based on their age. They like to be with somebody about their age. 
So there are only a few of us in the room that would qualify for my friends today. <laughs> but they do that. Other animals, um, they like, for example, some forms of monkeys, they'll sit with each other after kind of, you know, weighing it out whether or not we're going to be friends, and they'll start picking at each other. They'll pick off pieces of whatever that, you know, you've collected over whatever until you're all clean up, and then they make their decision. Some birds do that with their beaks. They're called rooks. They do the same thing. But the one that I thought was the most hilarious is a little, uh, a little monkey called, a, uh, let me see if I get it right, capuchins. Capuchins? probably mispronouncing it. Little ones, we see them sometimes turning the, 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 the music boxes. Here's how they uh, establish their friendship to be known, to be recognized. They take their two fingers and they stick them in their mouth. Get really good and wet. And once they're really good and wet, they poke their buddy in the eye. <laughs> All right, now everybody, fingers in your mouth. Here we go. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to go for that. We all do need to have friends, though, especially friends that recognize us as us, the real us, not the one we want everybody to think about. And that's why I chose this picture. It's a picture of Jesus having a conversation with someone he obviously likes. He's cracking up. He's having a conversation. They're walking along. There's a big stick here. They must have been traveling somewhere. And now they've stopped to engage each other in some sort of meaningful, fun conversation. Jesus did an awful lot of walking in his ministry. The last three and a half years of his life, he would have walked from Galilee, the northern part, down to Jerusalem in the south, at least three times a year to go up for feast days. He would have taken either the long way around, which would have been along the Sea of the Mediterranean, or maybe the not so long around, along the River Jordan, um, but, but he would have traveled. The shortest route might have taken him through Samaria. But a good Jew would not go through Samaria because those people had intermarried with the Assyrians and they were, not, they were not lovers of Jews. But one commentator estimates that in the life of Jesus, he probably walked something in the neighborhood of 3,100 miles. You say, well, is it that long? The Appalachian Trail, which people like to, to walk in on, on the East Coast, goes from Georgia to Maine. That's about 2,200 miles. The, the Pacific Crest, I think it's called here on the West Coast, it goes from Mexico to Canada, and it's about 2,600 miles. Jesus walked in excess of 3,100 miles in his three and a half years. What was he doing while he's walking? That's a lot of places to go. A person can, can walk comfortably between 15 and 20 miles a day. And when he stopped, what did he do? So I, I, I went through the scriptures and I came up with four examples of, of things that he did. The first one is the very first encounter he has in Matthew chapter 4. He's calling his disciples to himself. He's picking a team. And when he picks the team, he goes by the Sea of Galilee, and he spots Simon, who becomes Peter, and his brother Andrew. And he says to these guys, in a, in a very serious but friendship kind of way, Hey guys, I, I have a calling for you. I have a place for you to belong. I want you to come, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And the scripture says, when he had that conversation, that they dropped their nets and immediately went to be with him. When Jesus has a conversation with us, we ought to pay attention. And if there's a calling in there, we got to drop everything and go. He, he made sure that his conversations had that kind of impact. The next encounter that Jesus has while he's doing all this walking was at the marriage supper of Canaan in John chapter 2. 
Now the Bible tells us that his disciples were there and his family, particularly his mother. His mother's going to make a request of him in, in, in a minute. But I was thinking about a, a marriage supper at that time, a marriage celebration. They would go on for days. Uh, it might be as many as eight days that they celebrated a, a wedding. Can you imagine planning that and the cost of that? And here he is with his friends and he's having conversations individually with his disciples, individually with his brothers and sisters. At the end of that kind of conversation, what happens is there is a glorious miracle. He liked being with them and still did his business. God will talk to us and give us a sense of belonging or purpose. And then he just exercises his right just before he does maybe miraculous things in our lives to just be with us. We have this sense that God is in heaven and we are here. And every now and then, if we read our Bible just right, we might hear from him. But that couldn't be further from the truth. His next encounter comes in John 4. And in John 4, it's the subject of the woman of the well. She is in Samaria. And Jesus has chosen not to go by the River Jordan or by the, sea of Gal or by the Mediterranean Sea. He's decided to come straight down to, to towards Jerusalem and is now in that hated area of Samaria. He's in the middle of the day and it's hot and he stops by this well and he asks this older woman for a, for a drink. Now the fact that she's there filling up her, her household's water jugs tells us a lot about her. It tells us she's probably a prostitute because if she was married or a younger girl in her father's house, they would have been at the well first thing in the morning before it got hot, before it was miserable. She's there and she's there alone. Nobody wants anything to do with her. Jesus engages her in conversation. He acts like he likes her. He wants to talk to her. He talks about all kinds of things with her. And in the end, she puts her trust in him as the Messiah. When he tells her to go back to the village from which she's come, she runs and what does she say to them? Here's what she says to them. Come see a man who told me everything I did. She's had a checkered past. She's full of sin, probably currently. And yet in a conversation that looked probably something like that, she listened to the Messiah and put her faith and trust in him. Not because he overlooked what she did, but because he knew it and loved her instead, or in addition to. Jesus is showing here a real kind of sweet and, and gentle conversation, but an authentic one. Just because he wanted to be with her. And in the end, the Bible talks about how much joy she had. So he's had a conversation with his disciples and called them and give them a sense of belonging and purpose. He's been at a marriage supper and, and partied with the best of them. He's now found a woman of ill repute and ha had a, 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 an in-depth conversation all about what she has done and what she's not going to do now that, that she has a relationship. And the last one I wanted to talk to you about is one that happens after his death and his resurrection. It happens in uh, Luke 24. So in, in Luke 24, two of the disciples, one of whose name is Cloopus, the other we don't know his name, they're walking away from Jerusalem. They're going home to a little village called Emmaus. It was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And their heads are hanging low. The, what they're talking about is the death of their Messiah. 
And now, and now this discussion about a, a resurrection and what is that all about? And we saw it and it was miserable and they killed him and, and all of the associated uh, sadness in their, in their voices and he appears. Jesus appears and he starts a conversation. They don't recognize him. They don't recognize him as, as Jesus. And he, and he talks to them about what had happened. And at one point, they kind of chastise him. Don't, don't you know what just happened in Jerusalem? And he, yeah, I, I know what happened in Jerusalem. And he took their scriptures, and he started with Moses, which would have been the book of Exodus, and began to teach them all that the prophets had said about the coming Messiah and the fact that he would have to die and give himself as a, as a sacrifice for, those sin, for their sins. At the end, they stopped at a, a little inn to have dinner. And, and Jesus was still not revealed to them. It wasn't a moment of, of revelation until he started to hand them a piece of bread. And somehow the, the concept of, of bread, maybe, maybe harking back to his teaching, I am the bread of life, the light bulb came on in their lives and they realized that conversation was with, with him. And now, instead of talking about a calling or, uh, or, or talking about uh, the joy that can, can happen in fellowship or, or talking about the, the, the wonderfulness of your sins being forgiven, forgiven his conversation now has, has been to, to convict them of, of spending time in God's Word. That out of a study of God's Word, we can understand God's actual plan for our lives. Now, I, I want you to think for a minute about those four encounters. Four different times that he met with people that were going on their way. They had a regular life. This wasn't a, a spiritual moment on, on, on their planner. And he stops them, talks to them, shows compassion, gives them direction, gives them a calling, reminds them of things that he already knows about them and still likes them, still wants to be with them. He opened the scriptures, fed them spiritually, and reminded them of his love. Ladies, the thing I want you to go home with today is he's still doing the exact same thing. He's walking with us. Regardless of where we are in our, in our walk with him, he wants to be with me. I don't get that. Does he not know all the things that are true in my own heart? Yes, he does. And yet he still wants to be with me. You say, well, of course, God has to love everybody. He does love us. The verse we all know, John 3, 16, assures us of that. But there's more to that than just he loves us. He actually likes you. Likes you. Wants to be with you. Wants to have conversations with you. Wants to have an engaging life with you over important things. He has conversations with us or wants to. Think about the verse in John 17. In, in, uh, he says, I'm coming to you now and I'm coming so that you may have a full measure of my joy. So what's a full measure? Well, if you were a kid and you took one of those, well, the plastic ones work, but if you had a glass, uh, a glass glass, and we told one of our kids, especially a boy, fill it up. And we're thinking he's going to stop at this stop from the top, but he's not. He's going to fill it right up to the top. And then when it's actually level with the top, he's going to drop another drop in. Because you and I have learned that it will actually expand over the top if you're very careful. 
right? That is the definition of a full measure of joy. That is what God wants to impart. When he sat down and had a conversation with this guy, look at the look on his face. That is a full measure of joy. And when we will stop in the morning, in the afternoon, regardless of where we are or what we're doing, and allow that conversation to happen, it is a full measure of joy. It's not a, oh, I've got to talk to you today, I haven't had my breath, I did, yesterday it was, it's not like that. Now, yes, I understand God is a righteous and a holy and an awesome God who, respect, who is due respect. Even the Bible would call it fear, a reverential awe. But, but beyond the fact that that's true, he wants to have a relationship with us. Some people talk about, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like the God of the New Testament. Well, I hate to tell you, it's the same God. It is true that he is, is worthy of our respect, of, of an awesome fear for who he is and holding us accountable for our sin. But it is also true that he likes us. He wants to be with us. He wants to laugh with us. He's laughing. Babies laugh, they tell me, some 400 times a day. Adults, on a good day, we get 15 laughs out. What's wrong with that picture? He wants to be with us and he wants to laugh. He wants to laugh when you're in line to get into Costco. He, he wants to laugh when the, the laundry is above your head. He wants to have a conversation with you about something silly your kid did. In Proverbs chapter 17, the Bible says, A merry heart does good like medicine. Some translators will say, a laughing heart does good like medicine. That encounter right there, this man went away in a much better place than when he sat down. Because he's, he's encountered his Savior, there's been a great conversation, there's been some laughter, and he can move on. Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, eternal pleasures are at his right hand. Now, all of you, probably most of you, have children or have had children. For their birthday or for Christmas, let's say there's something really special they wanted. And you, you know, saved like mad and connived and finally got it. And you couldn't wait for either the birthday or Christmas morning. It's all wrapped up. And you, you stand in a special spot because you want to watch their face. And they, and they start to open it and you position yourself somewhere else. And your husband's supposed to have the camera so he can capture it too. And then they open it up and there's that moment. When the Bible says eternal pleasures are at his right hand, that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's moving so he can see your face. When he grants you the answer to your prayer or, or allows you to have some measure of, of, a, of a, a unique blessing, he wants that to happen. Remember, if we sin, we must repent, of course. We have to make it right. David even knew that. And when he sinned and, and, and did his thing with Bathsheba in Psalm 51, he says, God, please restore to me the joy of my salvation. Yeah, I can go on doing it by the numbers, but I want to have that joy that I had before. And God granted it to him. That's what's in this picture. Jesus wants that kind of everyday experience for you and for me. Now, what gets in our way is our self-talk. We tell ourselves, yes, but I'm not as good as her, or her, or her. 
I'm not as smart as she, and I'm not as spiritual as that one. And look at that dress, and I didn't have that in my closet. And, and check out her shoes. Her kids are perfect at school. Mine never are. And we do this comparison thing. Therapists will say, don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. I'm going to say, nah. What you need to do is listen to him. In that kind of a context, as he's grinning at you, filling up every measure of joy, eternal pleasures at his right hand, tell him thank you. Have a big grin on your face. Every day at Stony Brook, we start with a pledge, right? Pledge of the Bible, whatever, pledge of the flag. And, and usually, when I did it, I think John, uh, Jim does the same thing, he hollers out, this is the day the Lord has made. And what do the kids holler out? Oh, that word rejoice. This is the day the Lord has made, and I will rejoice. I'm having, I'm having the time of my life because Jesus stopped by. He's helping me fold the clothes. We're having a conversation as we listen to music. We're in the car. The kids are downloading their day, and I hear some great things. My husband is uh, inviting me out for a cup of coffee, and, and, and we're going to spend some time in God's Word together. We're going to have a great day. I'm going to rejoice in it. I'm going to be glad in it. I'm not going to be looking around going, yeah, I know he loves me, but look at my life. There is a verse in the Old Testament, perhaps one of my very favorites, in the book of Zephaniah. I know, minor prophets stuck there in the middle, hard to get to. But I encourage you to look it up later. Zephaniah 3.17. This is what the Bible says. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. And some commentators think the word rejoice there should be replaced with the word dance. He will dance over you with singing. I can envision that happening here. I, can, I could see him getting up, humming a few moments of some tune, and leading this guy in a little, I don't know, something. A little jig. God sent his son to die a horrible death so that my sin could be paid for. But after that, he sent the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself to be a part of my life. It's not just heaven. It's not just Sunday morning. It's not just when I have my Bible in my lap. It's all day long. He takes delight in rejoicing over me with singing. So I'm suggesting this morning, as we start our, our new year, that you take that picture home with you. And you put it somewhere where you're going to look at it all the time. And when you look at it, I want you to grin. And I want you to grin big, thinking that the Messiah of the universe wants to be with you. Let's pray. Father, this is so true. We have so many reasons that we don't bring it to heart. We think through all of the foibles out of our life and assume that he wouldn't want to be a part of that. And yet over and over and over again in the scriptures, you tell us that you rejoice over us. I am grateful to be your kid. I am grateful that I have time with you when both of us can laugh or I can look into your eyes and see acceptance 
I can see direction, a calling, a purpose. I can understand that you're at work in my heart. And I'm grateful for that this morning. Please help us to take this silly little picture home and be reminded that you like being with us. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.